Good morning again. We're glad that you, to have you here with us this morning, especially if it's your first time. Hey, we're glad to he- have you here at Gateway Taze Valley. Glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. Uh, this is an exciting morning. This is the start of our Pray for One uh, journey, this Pray for One campaign, and we are just really excited about what God is going to do uh, in our community here and uh, it all starts kind of today. We're excited to see this. You can see uh, we've got the shirts and, uh, and we've got some uh, redecorations on the side. And we'll get back to what that's going to be all about here uh, at the end. But uh, we're excited for, to see what God's going to do uh, through us, through us as the church. You know, it was the, the year 2000 and uh, fresh after surviving the Y2K crisis. Anybody remember that? Uh, And and while we wore out our CD player, because iPods weren't even a thing yet, uh, we were playing NSYNC's Bye 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 on repeat. And, uh, you know, I heard that at the mall yesterday, and I was like, ah, it still lives. I'm still relevant that I can say this. Uh, A man named Bruce Wilkinson wrote a book. Now, when I say the name Bruce Wilkinson, it actually reminds me of another cultural milestone that actually happened in the year 2000. I couldn't believe uh, that it worked out this way, that it actually was from the year 2000, where a record producer named Bruce Dickinson uh, famously declared that the boys in the band Blue Oyster Cult could really take it to the next level and have a huge hit on their hands if only they would add more cowbell to don't fear the reaper. And the lack of laughter means you probably don't know what that means. And so that uh, is an SNL skit, and uh, I I digress. Uh, We are talking about Bruce Wilkinson, whose book was based on uh, 1 Chronicles 4.10. Does anybody know what the name of this book is called? Anybody? (laughs) All right. Nobody got it. It's The Prayer of Jabez. Uh, the Prayer of Jabez, you can see the, the cover here for the book. Uh, as indicated from its title, it was a book that took the prayer of a man named Jabez who asked God to bless him, enlarge his territory, and protect him from any pain. And man, this book, uh, this book took off like a rocket and shot to the top of the charts. It became an international bestseller. It topped the New York Times bestseller list, and it ended up selling over 10 million copies. It, it, it received the Evangelical Christian Publishers Association Gold Medallion Book of the Year Award. If I had a recommendation, it would be to make it a shorter title, uh, but It won that award in 2001, and preachers everywhere picked it up and started using it for sermon material. It was instantly popular, mostly because, well, I mean, who doesn't want a blessed and pain-free life, right? According just to the cup, this is like the playbook for the blessed life, breaking through to the blessed life. If you want a blessed life, if you're telling me that I can pray and avoid trouble and pain in my life, while also enlarging my estate? Well, where do I sign up? Of course, I'm going to read this book because that's what I want. The problem is, well, it just doesn't feel quite right. There's just something that seems a little bit off about that prayer being your only prayer. It just seems a little self-centered to only pray that prayer, that my estate would be enlarged, that I would be protected from pain. And 
Actually, it doesn't seem to really go along with what Jesus taught in the New Testament. And although God did grant Jabez's request in 1 Chronicles, we probably don't know the whole story. Then a few years ago, a man named Bo Chansey, he, he wrote a different book about a different way to pray, and it was titled Pray for One. Now, Bo is the senior pastor at One Church in Manchester, New Hampshire, formerly known as Manchester Christian Church. And this book that he wrote was written to, to unify Christians around the biblical and evangelistic idea of reaching people with the gospel through prayer and opportunities for interaction, fellowship, and discipleship. And man, to hear Bo, I've heard him, uh, I've, we have heard him a couple different times talk about this book, and he is just on fire about it. He has seen God work in such huge ways through his church, through the people of his church, that they renamed the church to one church, as in pray for one church. It, God has grown the kingdom so much through this simple strategy. And so we're not going to be using his book as a guide for this, but we are going to be using his theme that he started. Because this is a theme that is beautiful in its simplicity. It gives us as, as Christ followers a, a target to shoot for, a goal to strive for. It gives us a purpose, a, a calling, and a responsibility. As a church, we can unify together under this pray for one theme in order to turn up the temperature on our evangelism and our prayer lives so we can be more effective in reaching the lost and unchurched in our communities right here in central West Virginia. And perhaps you've heard us say this before, but in case you haven't or maybe you've forgotten, 70% of Putnam County does not have a church home. 70% of our friends, of our neighbors, of our fellow sports or PTA parents, 70% don't have a church that they belong to, and we shouldn't be okay with that. And so now is the time. Now is the time for us to start being less like Jabez and more like Jesus. It's time for the church to start being the church. The pandemic has rocked our world in so many ways. And it's been really hard out there. It's changed so many things. And yes, there are people who have never come back to church. And we wonder where they're at. And we wait for them to come back. But you know what? We've also gained a lot of new families in the last year or so. Several of you sitting here this morning joined us during the pandemic and became a part of what we're doing here at Gateway. We've seen baptisms at Gateway just about every week so far this year, on top of the 40 or so last year. And so it's a reminder of the truth that I hope you believe that God cannot be slowed down by a pandemic, that God is still working in the midst of the storm. And I think that especially when so, many, so much has been stripped away, people are searching now more than they have in a long time. And they may not know that they're looking for Jesus, but they're searching. And there's an opportunity right now to, to be the light that shines in the darkness and to show people that there truly is hope for the hopeless. Friends, we are a hospital for broken people. We are the lighthouse in the darkness. We are a refuge for those in the storm. We are the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. A spiritual building made of living stones that includes each of us who would call this place home. We are an army of kingdom citizens fully equipped with all that we need to wage war against evil. 
The fields are ripe for harvest, my friends. We exist in our communities as part of our communities to help those who are struggling with homelessness and drug addiction and sexual addiction and pride and lust and greed and all the other evils of the world. And Jesus, he wants to work through his people, through his church to reach into those families, into the lives and the hearts of those that are lost and need to hear the good news of the gospel. So if you are a Christian, if you claim to follow Christ, guess what? You're in the game. You're in the starting lineup. You are the plan. All of us are the plan. Nobody gets to sit on the sidelines here. And we need you to join with us and mobilize with us in this mission. And so today, we start the journey, the pray for one journey. And we are excited for you to join us in this journey because it has the potential not only to change the lives of those in our communities that need to hear the life-saving good news of Jesus Christ, but it also has the potential to change our lives as well. And this isn't some new fad that just came about that's promising huge results. This is just changing the way that we look at the spiritual discipline of prayer, a discipline that's been around since the beginning, something that we know we should be doing constantly, but often find ourselves doing sparingly. It's a practical way to increase our prayer frequency and our prayer urgency. So today, as we get into this, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bible here with you this morning, you can go ahead and turn over there, and we'll be headed over there in just a moment. You can follow along with me. Matthew 5 is where we find the beginning of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' most famous sermon, and he starts out this sermon with a series of statements called the Beatitudes, statements about what it really takes to be blessed. And if you've never read through these statements, well, uh, it may not say what you think it would say. And we might think that a blessed life is one of good health or prosperity and always getting the, park, the front row parking spot at the supermarket. And that's probably why the prayer of Jabez is so popular, because it plays directly to our, our sense of what a blessed life would look like. But instead, here in Matthew 5, Jesus' description of a blessed life, well, it, it looks a little bit different. And so Jesus, he, he makes these statements. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are, are you when others revile you and, and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. It's not exactly pain protection and, and large territory. And in this famous sermon, Jesus, he challenges traditional Jewish theology. He challenges first century thinking, and he challenges even our thinking as he takes the expectations of his followers up a notch, maybe even 10 notches. And it has to do with how we live out our faith and how we view others. Because for followers of Christ, there is a clear distinction between how we treat others and how the world treats us. And if we're going to, to get to where we can really, truly pray for one, the one whom God has in store for each of us to reach, then we need to learn to pray for every. One. We need to be able to truthfully pray for everyone because everyone 
matters. And that causes you to ask the honest question, does everyone really matter to me? Does everyone really matter to you? Or are there certain people, well, you'd really rather not be around? Maybe some so-called friends who always betray you and hurt your feelings. Or a family member who is always judging you, who you feel their condemnation looking down on you. Do you struggle with somebody who belongs to another political party or somebody who is from a different background or has a different skin color or is from a different economic status than you? Now, let's be honest, uh, we've all had those moments where we've seen someone in public, we see them first, and we hope they don't see us, right? Maybe you see them from afar at Kroger down the aisle or across the, the stands at the ball game, and your first thought is, wow, I hope they really don't see me, right? And, and I, know, I know you guys are awesome, and, you, and that's a terrible thought, and you would never think that about anybody, but I suspect that it's happened at least once in your life. I mean, you see the person at the end of the aisle in Kroger, they're in the bread aisle, and you think, if I go all the way around the edge, do you think they'll still be picking out the bread when I come back? Like, if, if, I, if I get to the end of the aisle, can I get to the end of the aisle and around the corner before they see me? Can, do you think I can move that fast without raising suspicion? And, and maybe you've never had, I mean, I don't know how, why I have these thoughts. Uh, it's this experience in my life because I would never think that about anybody. But, uh, you know, if we're honest, there are people that you would move toward in those situations. Oh, hi, hello, yeah, it's good to see you. And there's people that you're moving away as fast as you can because you don't want to talk to them. Now, here's a bit of a sobering thought as we start the series. What if God asked you, what if you asked God to give you a person to pray for and that person was the person, the person that you're trying to get away from in Kroger was the person, the person you try to avoid, the person you hope doesn't see you, what if they were your one? Now, I'm not trying to speak for God and so maybe it won't be. Maybe it'll be a lot easier for you. But it might be. And so maybe, I don't know, during this series, Maybe you should just stay home for a while. Maybe just avoid Kroger. Just do like click list, okay? Maybe that's why most of us do click list already because you're like, I don't want to run into anybody. And when Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he, he was preaching to a crowd of people who almost certainly had a bad taste in their mouth for someone. Maybe it was their neighbors. Maybe it was the tax collectors. Maybe it was the Romans. Maybe it was the holier-than-thou religious leaders. Whomever it was, Jesus told these, these people that day, look, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. It's time to start acting like it. It's time to start loving the people that you don't want to love. Six times in this chapter, Jesus uses a phrase to raise the bar on how they treat and view others. He says, you have heard that it was said. You've heard that it was said, and he used this phrase because it was a common way for the rabbis of that time to reference the Old Testament scripture that made up the Torah. Now, the Torah was something that was taught to all Jewish children, and when the rabbi used that phrase, well, everyone would go, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember, I remember that. It was a callback to what they had already been taught. They had been reading and learning the Torah since they were children, so they were familiar with all of these teachings. And so Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. You shall not murder. That's about how you view your neighbor. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. That's how you, about how you look at your neighbor's wife. You have heard that it was said you shall not swear falsely. Well, that's about how you view authority. 
So they were used to this. They knew what this meant. They knew all of these. They had heard it a a, a ton of times. But then Jesus unexpectedly takes it up a notch. And he adds a second phrase. See, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said this, but I say to you. In each of these verses, Jesus took something that had been taught for generations. Things that they probably took for granted by now. Yeah, yeah, we get it. In each case, what followed was a specific challenge for them to change their view, to change their attitude and change their behavior about the people that they didn't like. And it didn't stop with just those. Let's look at verse 38, chapter 5. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. And this this section of Scripture is directed at how the people felt about the Romans. See, the, the Jewish people, they could tolerate a bad leader because at least they were Jewish. But man, they hated the Romans. And they hated the Romans because, well, the, the Romans hated them. They treated them so poorly, they had no trouble showing their disdain and hatred for the Jews. They called them dogs on the regular. And so to a Jewish audience, yeah, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, yeah, that's exactly what I want to hear. Because when somebody belittles you constantly and looks down on you and insults you, what's your first instinct? To fight fire with fire, to come back at them tenfold and give them what they deserve. Man, you hurt me. I hurt you right back. I'm coming at you. But right here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses four different examples to raise the bar on what is expected of those who claim to be his followers. And so let's take a look at them this morning, starting with Jesus preached a turn-the-other-cheek message. Jesus says you've got to change your view of an evil person. And to make it more intense, he says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, now if you break it down and think for just a moment, I know nobody would ever fight here, but when you watch boxing, right? So when somebody comes at you with their right hand, it's going to strike on the left cheek of the other person. And so how do you... How how does it strike on your right cheek? Well, the right cheek means that that person did not come with a regular punch or slap. They came with a backhanded slap. And I I don't know how versed you are on like, oh, look what happened. But like the backhanded slap has more insults tied to it than the traditional punch or slap. Many people are are right-handed, which means a right-handed strike would connect on the left cheek. So the, the backhand would have to be on the left cheek. But even with the added insult of the backhanded slap, Jesus doesn't say, okay, now you can hit them back. No, Jesus says, don't hit them back. Turn the other cheek as well. Because sometimes following Jesus means to take the insult and not seek revenge. Number two, Jesus preached a give your coat away message. Jesus told the people gathered there that if somebody takes your tunic, you should give them your coat too. Now, on the surface, that might not seem like a big deal, but there's some added context to this as well. See, in Exodus 22, God told the Israelites that every person is entitled to at least one coat. It was a basic human right for an Israelite because it was used not only as a coat, but they also used it to cover up as a, with, as a blanket on cold nights. Basically, the understanding was you can have a man's shirt, but you can't take his coat. 
But Jesus comes along here in Matthew 5 and he says, yeah, you know what, go ahead and give them your coat too. Because sometimes following Jesus means giving up my rights. Number three, Jesus preached a go the extra mile message. Jesus said that if a Roman soldier forces you to carry his pack for one mile, something that they could legally make them do, then you should go ahead and carry it too. Don't wait till you're asked. Just go the extra mile. Not for your own gain, but for the enemy. Develop an extra mile mentality in your interactions. Don't get caught up on whether they deserve this treatment or not. You just do it. Sometimes following Jesus means returning kindness for cruelty. Number four, Jesus preached a pray for everyone message. Jesus tells them, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And the people are nodding, going, yep, that's what we've heard. We're we're good with that. We know. Love neighbor, hate enemy. Yep, on to the next one. We've heard this so many times. They've got to be thinking, this guy says that he's teaching something new, but like, who is this guy? We know all these things already. Then Jesus continues, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Well, now it's changed a little bit. Now they're looking around going, hey, really? Come on, who who is this guy? Who does he think he is? I mean, Jesus is up in the ante with each statement. Man, he's really starting to meddle in their lives now. He's starting to ask them to do things that they don't want to do. Love my enemies? Pray for those who persecute me? You serious, Jesus? I mean, at that rate, I I might as well just be praying for everyone. Yeah, that's the idea. That's exactly right. Jesus continues, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? I recently finished this book called Words of Radiance. Uh, it's part of this greater series. And while most of the time I reference a book in, in a sermon, it's, a, it's like a theological book or at least has to do with Jesus. Uh, but this one is, uh, well, it's not. It's just a fiction book. It's, a, it's a part of the fantasy genre. And this book, it took me years to complete because of its length and because I don't have that much free time. And when I do have free time, I use it for more useless things. I, I just never committed to finishing it. And it took years, at least three years for me to finish this. On top of that, it's the second one in the series, which also took me three years. So I've got six years into the series, and I'm only two books in, but I'm doing better on the third one at least. But it follows several characters, and one of the characters that's followed in both books, and one of the main ones, he, he's in a bad place near the end of the second one. He doesn't really know what he's thinking. He doesn't know what's the right way, and He's agreed to join some others in an assassination plot against the king as, for, as revenge for what the king has done to some of them in the past. And, and so he just doesn't know what way to go. He feels conflicted whether this is the right. He, he's loyal to his friends, but he feels like maybe this isn't the right thing. But right before it's too late, he has this realization. Right before the king is killed, he says, if I only protect the people that I like... It means that I don't care about what, doing what is right. He realizes that if that's his mentality, then he only cared about what was convenient for him. And that's not protecting. That's just selfishness. 
And this week as I was going through what Jesus was saying here, I just come off of reading this book, and man, the two just linked up for me. I feel like this story could have been written from Jesus' words here. Because as Christ followers, if we only ever love the ones who love us, if we only greet our brothers, if we're only excited to, to talk to the ones within the walls of the church, then what sacrifices are we truly making? How do we stand out at all from, from the tax collectors, from the Gentiles, from those that aren't Christians? We should be known by the way that we love. If we're not loving those that are outside of the church or those that, uh, that disagree with us, then how are we any different from the rest of the world? All of these things, turn the other cheek, give away your coat, walk the extra mile, love and pray for your enemies. All of these go against the grain of the cultural standard of the day. Jesus is saying, be different. Be different by the way that you love. Love in all situations. Love your enemies. It's easy for you to love those that you agree with. It's easy for you to love those that love you. It's easy for you to love your brothers, those within the church. I want you to love outside of that. Because if we're not loving those that don't love us already, is it truly love? Or is it only for our own gain? Be known by the way that you love. Be known by the peace that you have within you. That's what Jesus wanted because that's who Jesus was. In Philippians 2, Paul writes, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. At the end of his life, Jesus He's deserted by his disciples. He's falsely accused by the religious leaders. He's unjustly arrested by the Romans and put on trial by Herod. The crowds, they heckled him. They hurled insults at him. The, the soldiers, they, they mocked him. They slapped him. They spat on him. And what did Jesus do? Nothing. He didn't do anything. In fact, he wouldn't even let his disciples do anything about it. When Peter grabbed the sword away from the, the soldier in the garden earlier that night, Jesus told him to put it away, saying, do you think that I cannot appeal to my uh, father? And he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? 12 legions, and that's equal to 72,000. So more than 72,000 angel warriors just waiting on the call. Jesus, come on, we're ready. Let, let's, let's do it. And imagine the damage they could have done. Imagine how much they could have saved Jesus. Except it's Jesus. Jesus didn't need saving. He didn't need them. Jesus spoke the world into existence. He healed the sick and he made the lame to walk and he raised the dead with just a word. He could have simply whispered a curse onto the crowd and the soldiers, but he didn't. The prophet Isaiah, he prophesied long before any of this how it would go. He said, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Jesus didn't yell back. He didn't slap back. He didn't cry out for justice. Instead, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In the midst of all of this, after all that he had been through, Jesus prayed for them. He loved them so much that he prayed for them. Even as he shouldered the burdens of a world that betrayed him, he prayed for them. 
And not just for them, but for us as well. Friends, being a Christ follower, it doesn't mean a life of blessing. It doesn't mean enlarged territory or an escape from pain. And our Savior Jesus, the Messiah, he didn't even have that life. He didn't even have the blessed life that we think that would go with Christianity. He didn't have any wealth or extravagance. He didn't have, even have a place to lay his head. He wasn't successful or prominent by any earthly standard. Why then would we believe that being a Christian should be a pain-free, successful, and easy life? Instead, being a Christ follower means having a heart for lost people. It means having a heart for everyone. What Jesus did on the cross that day made a difference for all of us. It made a difference for everyone. Jesus was innocent. He was the spotless lamb sacrificed for the sins of the world. And when we betray him with our sin today, he doesn't yell back. He doesn't slap back. He doesn't condemn us nor forsake us. He forgives us. He loves us and he welcomes us. And he tells us to love everyone and to tell everyone about him, to make disciples of all nations, to pray for everyone because everyone matters to Jesus. And because of that, they should matter to us because Christians are not just recipients of God's amazing grace. We are also participants in sharing his grace. So as we start this Pray for One journey I would encourage you to start keeping a prayer journal. Start this week, and as often as you think about it, pray for these three groups of people. Pray for the people that you don't even know yet. Pray for the people that you don't know, or that you do know, but hope you don't run into it, Kroger. And pray for the people that you do know and actually like. But specifically, be in constant prayer for the one that you will pray for this year. If you don't have him yet, that's okay. Keep asking God to reveal that name to you. God has someone that he wants you, specifically you, to reach this year. And if we don't do it, that person doesn't hear about the message of Jesus. So it's time to stop merely being recipients and start being participants. For far too long in the church, we have merely been recipients of his grace. It's time to start being participants and sharing it. Because God's grace is about more than just sins forgiven. It's about building his kingdom so that others can know the life-saving, life-altering, life-giving truth of Jesus Christ. And I believe that God wants to do, I truly believe that God wants to do something special in our community right now. But it means that we have to take up the charge and start praying for everyone, opening ourselves up for praying for the one that God has in place for us. Friends, we get so anxious about where our country's at and where our world's at, and there's so much evil going around, but if we want to see a revival in our country, if we want to see a revival in our state and in our community, it has to start with a revival in our heart. And I truly believe that we can start small, we can start praying for one, and that is how God wants to change the world, by making disciples of the ones that he has in place for each one of us. Let's pray. Father God, we come here this morning we're so thankful that we can just be in your presence. We're thankful for the love that you have for each one of us, that you would send your son Jesus to die for each one of us. Father, Jesus started 
he showed loving his enemies before any of us were here. That he, he showed us what it would look like. He showed us the example. When we read through this in Scripture, we, we see that Jesus has been, was doing this his whole life. But we also see it from you. Because of our sin, we are your enemy. We have sinned against you, yet you still loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus while we were still sinners to take away the sins of the world. That before we even knew, before we even knew you, before we even came to you, you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus for each of us. Father, I pray that we never forget that truth. We never forget the amazing grace that you afforded us. And Father, this morning, I pray that it would start, that we would stop being just merely recipients of that grace, that amazing grace, and start being participants in what you're doing and building this kingdom. Be participants and sharing your grace that we would not just hold on to this out of selfishness. We would not just hear that we're saved and think that's good enough, that we would start sharing this with others, starting with, the one that you have in store for us. Father, I pray that we would hear this call, that your spirit would rise inside of us, that we would actually heed this call and go on this journey so that the people that you have in mind for us, that you have in store for us, would come to know your son, Jesus. Father, you set it up that Jesus is the only way to you. He's the only person that can... He's the only one that can forgive our sins. A relationship with him is the only way to you. It's the only way to eternity with you. And if we believe that truth, if we believe that we are saved because we have made Jesus the king of our lives, then man, I hope that we would feel a responsibility to share that with others and save them as well. Let you come in and change their heart so they may spend eternity with you as well. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace. And most of all, I thank you for Jesus. Without all of those things, we wouldn't be able to have any hope beyond this world. We would be dead in our sin. But now, we are alive in Christ. And we thank you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've never made the decision to follow Jesus. Man, there's no better day than today to make that decision. It's the greatest decision that you could ever make in your life. Because the truth of the matter is, Jesus is the only way. The world will tell you there are different ways and we can get distracted and we can go down multiple paths. But I think what always happens is we always come back to the same truth, that Jesus is the only way. And like we've said this morning, being a Christian doesn't mean that everything's great doesn't mean that there's no pain. doesn't mean that you're going to have a bigger house or you have more territory. It doesn't mean that there will be no problems. It just means that you have somebody to go to when the problems of the world hit. And I know so many people that would tell you that that is so true. I was just thinking yesterday about what do you do? Like, what do you do when, the, when you don't have that? I would be so lost without Jesus. Because for all the things that happen, for all the pain that happens, 
at least I have somebody to go to, and at least I have a hope that extends beyond this world. Friends, there are so many of people around us. There are 70% of the people around us that don't know that truth, that don't have that hope, that don't have that to fall back on. And I hope that we can start today to pray that we will be able to reach those people, reach the people that God has in store for our life. And let them in on that truth. If you're here this morning, though, and you don't have that relationship, you're one of the ones we're talking about. And my heart breaks for you, but that can all change by making Jesus the king of your life, to surrendering and saying, I've tried it a lot of different ways in my life, but I'm done. I can't do it anymore. I want to make Jesus the king in my life. You can walk in here this morning, an old person dead in your sin, but you can walk out a new creation in Christ with the declaration that you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, make him the king of your life. You know he, he is your savior and you can be baptized into the water and walk out of here with the knowledge that you have been forever saved in Christ. If you never made that decision, love for you to come forward this morning. We can talk a little bit more about it. If you come this morning, you made that decision or you just need some prayer right now, I, I would love to pray with you. you know, there's so many things that hit us from so many different angles and some weeks are worse than, than others. But God has given us this amazing gift of prayer that we can call on him and say, God, I, I don't understand what's going on right now, but my eyes are fixed on you. Please just come and help me right now. Help me through this. I'd love to pray with you this morning. Whatever might be going on, I'd love to involve God in whatever situations. We can offer it up to him. We may not have the outcome that we hope for, but we know that he loves us and he's still working for the good of those that love him. God is a mystery, but the one thing I know is that he calls us to call on him, to cast our cares and anxieties on him, and he loves us no matter the outcome. If you're here this morning and you have a decision to make or you just need some prayer this morning, I'll be right down front. I'd love to, to talk with you about that. But let's all stand and sing our final song together.